0: Rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found
1: by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel,
0: the speed of life, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. Superboy. everybody, Welcome to episode 196 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode we're going to continue my run through season four of the Salkine Produced Adventures of Superboy television show. This is the final season, episodes three and four The Kryptonite Kid and The Basement. The uh, Kryptonite Kid is based on a character in the comics, while The Basement is a story about a shape changing alien that is living in a basement. Only one guest star. so. Uh, I guess that's one way for the show to save money. Anyway, before I get to that, I have feedback to address. Feedback here is from Dave McElvenny. Dave's writing in on Man Screen, episode 185. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. These stories have some interesting supernatural elements that probably weren't explored as fully as they could have been, if there had been more time. But I don't think either would have done well as two-part stories. In Santa Vicaris, as you pointed out, it would have been interesting to have the Katia descendants explain their motivations more and argue the ethics of what they were doing. I wonder, although, although there's nothing in the story to suggest it, if they might eventually have exhibited other powers beyond flight, since Tio stating that they would be like gods. I was intrigued when the woman at the African Heritage Bookstore began her exposition with In the Year Before the Civil War and talked about a shipment of 10 slaves fresh off the boat from Africa. The importation of slaves to the United States was outlawed in 1808, over 50 years before the Civil War. Trading in slaves was essentially domestic rather than international by the 1810s. Some slaves were smuggled to the U.S. for a time after that, but this was extremely rare by the 1820s, and almost unheard of by the 1860s. Granted, writer Paul Steubenrack wasn't writing a documentary, but it's a noticeable goof, I think. I thought the title Sons of Icarus Tied Katia's Flying to the Fire Creature, since Icarus fell because of the fire of the sun, but that connection wasn't well explained. Carnival was a good look at Superboy's mental and moral strength, and their importance in his fight against evil, a theme explored in more depth in Elliot S. Megan's 1981 novel, Miracle Monday, although I thought the name of the character DeVille was a bit on the nose for my taste. I think my favorite part of this one was how the fortune teller tempted Superboy with knowledge about his unknown background, which I think would be a powerful draw for him. I assume she was either a demon in DeVille's service or DeVille himself in that form, although it doesn't seem clear in the story. If DeVille is really the devil, we know Superboy couldn't ultimately defeat him, so we could hope for a return engagement. But I kind of doubt that ever happened in the series. Pitting Superboy or Superman against the actual devil is a tricky business for a writer because it's butting up against many people's religious views, which is something a half-hour TV series based on comics is probably not going to want to delve into too deeply. Thanks, as always, for a fun ride. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. As always, Dave, thank you for writing in. A lot to unpack here in Dave's letter. Yes, I do agree that it would have been more interesting to have the uh, Katia descendants explain their motivations more. And I think they argued the ethics enough that they got the gist of what they were arguing about, especially what Joseph was arguing about. And it's possible they might have eventually exhibited powers uh, beyond flight. The uh, not, There is nothing in the story suggested, but at the same time, the story doesn't necessarily need to suggest it. I mean, where does that like gods come from? Where does that wording come from? You. Possibly it comes from whatever writings come from the Katia during the uh, Civil War. And, you know, at that time, people flying probably seemed like it was unto the gods. So, maybe flight is all there is. It seemed to really be all they were going for. And uh, thank you, Dave, for your uh, little history lesson about the uh, slave trade in the Civil War. I'm not as knowledgeable of that as you are, apparently, so... I, I mean, I know a lot of us slaves were kind of, it was hereditary in, in that time, but and I never really paid much attention to uh, the international slave trade and as it related to the United States in the 1800s. So thank you, Dave, for filling that gap of my knowledge. I always appreciate that. You know, Greg, you know, as far as uh, it being an old school goof, you know, this is probably mostly a kid's show and, and it's considered as much so. So I doubt he's making any serious uh, effort to be, Historically accurate to that degree. I mean, I'm 40 years old, to got by me. So, uh and I always say in fiction, you know, maybe things are different. You know. I mean, how much can we really depend on a fictional show to uh have all the uh specifics of our history embedded into it? It's a multiverse, Dave. Road's not taken. Maybe in this universe, slaves were still imported in the 1860s. I don't know. But you know, it's not that important. It's not the kind of thing that breaks the story by any means, you know, I don't know anything about Paul Steubenrack or what his knowledge was, and probably, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he knew what Icarus, who Icarus was, uh, and you're right, the connection is not well explained if you don't know who Icarus is, so there's that. Carnival was my preferred episode of the uh, of these two, although even that was kind of uh, worth in after a while. Veeam Explored, Dave mentioning again Elliot uh, S. Mangan's 1981 novel Miracle Monday, which I still haven't read. Someday I'll get a hold of it. The name of DeVille was a bit on the nose. Dave, as a fan of the Civil Rage, you should be used to on-the-nose names of characters. Uh, what was that thing I commented uh, about around Christmas time? Uh, some comics cover where Santa Claus was described as Noel, and you have reminded me of... Uh, Carel's distant relative, Cruel. Come on, if uh, you should be used to on-the-nose character names at this point, and uh, yeah, and I believe I did point out the fortune teller that was uh, definitely the most tempting thing you could have. He could have tempted Superboy with knowledge of uh, where he comes from. Almost kind of like uh, it's almost considered like a, the forbidden fruit in this show, where he's uh, come from. So that would be a powerful draw for him, and it is possible that uh, I don't remember. If the fortune teller was DeVille or him in some kind of form, because it was definitely connected to DeVille. I know that maybe I just didn't make it clear in my uh, synopsis and discussion, but we are meant to think that DeVille is really the devil. And yes, that does kind of butt up against people's uh, religious views. But I think the idea of the devil has kind of also transcended its way into uh, mainstream consciousness that you can use the concept without necessarily butting up against people's religions. I mean, he basically what he's representing here is temptation, and uh, which can lead to uh, great evil. And it doesn't even matter if DeVille is really the devil. I mean, Superboy can't ultimately defeat him, but he can defeat his plans. And while DeVille, this quote-unquote devil, doesn't come back, the Taste of Armageddon uh, has him make a deal with, it seems like a deal with the devil, but the character is more of a, demon or a cursed soul cursed to uh, walk the earth till Armageddon so that's really all I've got on that, thank you Dave for writing in, now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo when I come back, the kryptonite kid, hang around folks faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than
1: a locomotive able to leap tall buildings at a single bound in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! Richard Pryor? Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman, we have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire &
0: Water Podcast Network. Alright, welcome back, folks. We're going to start this episode off with The Kryptonite Kid. Episode three of season four. Original broadcast date was October 20th, 1991. This episode was directed by Terry Knotts, written by Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer. No surprise there, really. This is the idea of the Kryptonite Kid is right out of the comics. Guest cast includes Jay Underwood as Mike Walker and the Kryptonite Kid, Leo V. Finney the third as Dooley, Sharon Camille as Babe, David Clyde Carr as reporter number one, Don McClendon as reporter number two and John Talbot as the military policeman. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. At the Schiff Institute, a military research facility, a young scientist named Mike Walker is helping to reduce the radioactive properties in kryptonite so it'll be harmless to Superboy. The kiln containing the kryptonite overheats and explodes, injuring Walker and leaving liquid kryptonite pouring onto his wounds. Superboy tries to shield him, but he is weakened and incapacitated. Meanwhile, at his apartment, a man named Vic... A doppelganger for Superboy hatches a plan to exploit the Boy of Steel for personal gain. At the Institute, Lon is at Superboy's bedside as he awakens from a two day slumber. Major Dooley, head of the facility, takes Superboy to see Walker in recovery.
1: Kryptonite got into his bloodstream. His radiation level's been going up and down. It seems to follow his emotional pattern. How the hell? Like I said before, there's always a simple explanation. Kryptonite atoms bonded with my blood cells, I'm now living, breathing kryptonite. There's gotta be a cure. The doctors are working on one right now. I'm sure they'll never find one in time. How long do you think I can last this way? A couple of days a week? Mike, we're trying. The time I spent here helping other people. Ever taking time from myself, ever even being myself. I mean, all those endless hours and I'm out of time. Mike. If there's anything I can do.
0: You've done enough already. Out in town, Vic is cashing in as Superboy, selling $5 kisses until Lana confronts him and turns him in. At the Institute, Walker has discovered his new powers and uses them to escape. Later that evening, Walker has fun by playing guitar chords on a power line. Superboy picks up Bonnet at the Institute and goes looking for him. When he finds Walker, he tries to convince him to return to the lab,
1: Walker! What do you want? You've got to stop that and come back to the Institute with me. (laughs) For the first time in my life, I'm free to do exactly what I want. I'm not going to stop. You're dying. Well, I hope I die before I get old. Let me help you. Help me. Help me! You're the one who made me this way! Walker! You've got to come back with me. You'll die. That'll make two of us. Uh, They're working on a cure for you now. It's going to be too late, Superboy, for both of us.
0: That's right, boys. Here I am. Walker begins destroying the base as Superboy escapes. Walker wages a one-man war on Capital City. Meanwhile, at the Bureau... Major Dooley,
1: it's me. Any progress? Superboy, we've done it. We formulated a serum to counteract Walker's problem. Well, that's great. Do you know where he is? Not yet. But I know what you're getting at, and the answer's no. Major. He will kill you. I'm not letting you go after him again. I, I understand. Clark, you're back. How's the cold? Oh, it's, it's it's a lot better. Where have you been? Down at the police station, identifying a con man. He was impersonating Superboy. He must not have been too bright. That's an understatement. But he does look exactly like him. Exactly? Dead ringer.
0: He has Vic brought to the base, and... all a big misunderstanding.
1: Uh, Hey, you're, you're practically a god to me. I didn't mean anything personal by it. Honest. I don't have to say anything to you. I got rights. You can't touch me! Look, what do you want from me? say something! I need a favor. (laughs) You need a favor? What's in it for me? Might save you about 90 days in jail. Might? I'll do the best I can. And the minute you don't need me anymore, I'm right back here. You're gonna have to trust me, Vic. I never trusted anybody in my life. You wanna know something? I ain't never been wrong. And look where you ended up. Wait! What do you need? A lot. But first, I need to know if I can trust you.
0: Absolutely. They find Walker at the warehouse, and Vic tries to convince him that he's Superboy.
1: Walker! Come out! We're going back to the base. They have a cure for you! Don't make me come after you! One way or the other. This ends here. <laughs> Did you feel it? No, they cured me at the base. And they can cure you too.
0: <laughs> You're lying. A hey, superboy never lies. To call his bluff, Walker uses his powers to start a truck tractor and moves it toward Vic, sending him running. Superboy from behind a wall uses super breath to stop the truck in its tracks, and Vic plays along pretending to use Super Breath himself. See? All my
1: powers are still working. Why don't you let the doctors help you? I'm like this because of you. Why should I trust you? Why should I trust anyone? Because, because if you spend your whole life not trusting anybody, you end up like Like you. Green? No. Out on a limb with nobody to pull you back. Look, man, you're dying. I'm your only hope. Why don't you let me help you, okay? I knew it! You're not Superboy and there's no cure for him, there's no cure for me!
0: Using super speed, Superboy comes from behind the wall and moves in between them, taking the hit. Now weakened, Superboy is in danger of being killed, and Vic runs. He suddenly has a change of heart and grabs some lead shielding from the soldier standing by. He tackles Walker with it and knocks him unconscious. Then Superboy uses heat vision to seal him in. With everything now under control, news crew storm in for an interview from Superboy. You came back. I guess I'm one of those idiots, huh?
1: How did you find him? Weren't What was it like, Superboy?
0: What are you going to do with him? What's going to happen to him?
1: You'll have to talk to him. He's Superboy today. So what was it like being Superboy? I'm out What was it like? Just one What's going to happen to him now? Well, you see, Superboy was in trouble, so he asked me for his help, and I wasn't doing that. I said, what the heck? And, uh, and and so, I came out
0: here, and, and this guy was giving a really hard time. Well, there is a lot going on here in this episode. Between the uh, the Walker story, the kryptonite kid, you got Vic, uh, the Superboy doppelganger, which again gives uh, Gerard Christopher another opportunity to play a, a different character this time. Normally, uh, when Gerard Christopher plays double roles, he's playing other versions of himself, or not so much himself, but the character that he plays. For instance, the two Walter Superboys that he played in Roads Not Taken. Here, he gets the opportunity to create a totally new character in Vic, and he pulls it off well, uh, instilling him with a, at least it sounded to me like a Brooklynish accent. So, this episode goes for a comics concept here, no surprise being that the writers are Andy Helfer and Mike Carlin, a couple of long-time DC Comics writers and editors. I don't know a ton about the Kryptonite Kid from the comics. He, I've only read a handful of comics uh, with him. I remember a, a post-crisis story uh, out of something called the Evil Factory, uh, but I don't think that was really Kryptonite, if I'm remembering uh, correctly. The Kryptonite Man made his first appearance in Action Comics 249, and another character dubbed the Kryptonite Kid made his first appearance in Superboy 83, back in the Silver Back in the Silver Age. And I think this is the Silver Age. So, here we have a member of the military trying to turn Kryptonite into a power source. Never a good idea. We saw what happened with that in Super Menace. And as I recall, the Schiff Institute seems to be the same place that they did all this in uh, Super Menace. I could be wrong about that, but maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Superboy hears the worker Kryptonite here and he uh, gets a little hesitant about walking into the room. I can't say that I blame him, but... He's informed that the glass is lead-lined, so he has nothing to worry about, at least not at the moment. Now i got this scientist uh, kind of dancing around the lab, and he's described as more than a little eccentric. So, you know what they say about your uh, advanced scientists. They're a little mad, a little eccentric, and a little weird. Walker is described as a genius. We know nothing about him, so we just kind of have to go with that. And there's an explosion in the lab. And despite the kryptonite and the obvious... Danger to himself. Superboy runs in and saves him. Obviously, he's taken out by the kryptonite, and even Walker is looking a little green around the gills. So, meanwhile, uh, what happened to Superboy uh, is in the paper, and here's this woman uh, smiling about what happened to Superboy, and uh, she's calling out the Vic, who, if you're not expecting this, it's quite shocking to find that it's Gerard Christopher standing there. So, you know, not only do we have the uh, kryptonite kid element, but we also have. Uh, A doppelganger involved, so like I said, a lot going on here. We have the Walker and the Kryptonite Kid story. We have the Superboy Double story kind of hanging around. And Helfer and Carlton do a good job in wrapping up all this and tying it off in a satisfying way in 22 minutes. You know, this is the time when, you know, compressed storytelling, where writers can tell a good one-and-done story. A story like this nowadays would be considered filler, which I hate that term, no episode is filler you know, sometimes it's nice to just kind of get in and get out in however long the show is. So Lana is uh, worried, and it seems Superboy is going to be okay in a day or so, at least according to uh, Major Dooley. Walker's not in great shape. He was irradiated by Kryptonite, and uh, it kind of follows his emotional pattern. Kind of the stronger he uh, his emotions, if he gets really angry, uh, the green gets richer and kind of exudes from his body. So we learn here that the Kryptonite bonded with him. So he's living and breathing kryptonite. And uh, I think I'd be kind of upset, too, if that happened to me. So the doctors are working on a cure, and uh, there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to do one. And uh, Walker is frustrated and, you know, can't blame him. And this is, you know, going to uh, be the source of his turn as a villain. His anger at the incident is going to turn him. And it's a very simplistic heel turn, but, you know, it is what it is. He is a villain mired in comic book tropes. Of course, he blames Superboy for his accident and rebuffs his offer to help. So, there we go. So, now we cut to Vic, who is uh, doing some, uh, you know, he's basically a Superboy impersonator. He's, uh, you know, like those guys you see in Vegas or uh, along the uh, Hollywood Boulevard in Los Los Angeles. You know, probably working for tips. Five dollar kisses, you know. And I wonder if people actually think this is Superboy. And you could tell uh, right away that the... uh, Producers put Gerard in an old costume for, uh, at least this portion, for the role of Vic. The uh, blue is lighter than the suit we're currently using. So this is definitely a pre-1991 suit. Probably a suit from the first half of Season 3. If you remember during my coverage of Season 3, when we got to 1991, it seemed as though Superboy's costume got a darker blue. Vic, his costume now is more of a true blue, a royal blue where Vic's costume was a little more powder blue. So uh, apparently Vic is new in town as Lana shows up and uh, in an attempt to uh, defend Superboy's honor, kind of shoves Vic around, kind of proving it to the world that he's not Superboy. You know, I don't necessarily know if he's saying he's Superboy, but knowing Vic, he, he probably is. So, and his girlfriend was very happy to see the Superboy was out of commission for a few days. So, you know, maybe he is passing himself off as Superboy. When in that case, uh, Lana kind of has a reason for committing the assault that she commits here. Kind of shoves Vic into uh, something. I don't remember what it was. Anyway, meanwhile, uh, Mike is experimenting with his new kryptonite powers. He blows up a gas with kryptonite rays, and that seems to make him happy. I don't know if he's happy about the power, per se, or if he's just happy that he can control it. But since he has decided that he has well enough control over his powers, it's time to go. And with that, Mike is gone. So the public knows about Walker being out and about. So Mike has found an interesting use for his powers and has turned the powers into the power lines into his own personal base. Dooley doesn't recognize what it is, but Superboy hears uh, hears it. He uh, apparently he can uh, hear the sounds well enough that he can recognize it as a bass line. I don't know. Maybe Superboy is more musically inclined than we know, or maybe it's the product of his super hearing. Really, no way to tell. So anyway, Superboy wants to help. But Walker continues to blame Superboy for his problems. And I guess he figures while he's dying, you may as well take Superboy with him because, you know, why not? You're dying. Here's the guy who you perceive did this to you. And at the very least, in an indirect way, he has these powers as kind of the result of his trying to help Superboy. So it's more of an indirect blame. Superboy didn't actually irradiate him with the kryptonite. Well, anyway, I'm kind of getting lost on a the tangent there. Here come the soldiers who have nothing for Walker. You know, he pushed. He repels them very easily, but using his ability seems to come at a cost for Walker because you start to see him kind of keel over. He kind of grips his stomach in pain after the brief fight. So it's clear that he's not going to be able to keep up with this. So Walker's intention is to destroy Superboy, and Superboy is uh, at a loss. You know, he has no idea how he's going to stop this particular threat. This person lives and breathes the one element that can kill him. And it's not like Metallo, where he can just burn the kryptonite out of his chest. He can't do that here without killing Walker. So what is a Superboy to do? Nothing, apparently, because Major Dooley will not allow Superboy to go after Walker because of how deadly the kryptonite is. Which is all well and good, but does the Major have a plan for Mr. Walker? He may not, but Clark hears about Lana's run-in with Vic, the Superboy doppelganger. So that gives him an idea. And here's where our storylines converge, where the Vic storyline, which was running kind of parallel to the main storyline to start the episode kind of converges on the the Kryptonite Kid story. Uh, Vic had been arrested after, uh, Lana pushed him around and Superboy has Vic brought to the base and, uh, <laughs> Vic is scared and Superboy seems to be screwing with him. You know, he comes into the room and, uh, is Vic in his uh, prison jumpsuit, and uh, Superboy is just walking around, circling, and I don't know if he's trying to size him up, or if he's intimidating Vic on purpose, but it does get under Vic's skin, and because Vic is the kind of guy who likes to talk, he likes to uh the banter, and Superboy is uh, being very silent, and it kind of unhinges Vic a little bit, which takes me back to my way when i read dune which is the original book written by frank herbert i think he wrote that in like 1965 or something i don't know the exact year off the top of my head but one of the things i always remembered about that book how in the final confrontation when uh, paul atreides fights fade Rantha Harkonnen, fade likes to the banter and during the duel and paul was silent which threw Fade off his game and helped uh, Paul defeat him. A little strategy there, which always always stuck with me. Take a guy who likes to talk and do the opposite and get in his head that way. So that, I'm not saying Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer were thinking about that at the time, but that's kind of what it re, where it brought me. So Superboy asked Vic for a favor, and Vic is uh, really in no position to turn down a favor as he's going to get a very uh, Suicide Squad-like uh offer of a reduced sentence if he succeeds in his mission you know he's he's gonna get the help uh, without the brain bomb and like i said i always enjoy seeing gerard play other characters especially here where he's not playing another version of superboy he's playing a completely new character that he got to create that's not based off his character or imitating sherman howard like in the body swap episode meanwhile uh, walker is harassing these uh, two guards and scaring the crap out of them Looks like he's got some kind of chemical plant or something, but again, there's the pain in his stomach, and Walker is not feeling good. He's going to need to wrap this up soon, I think. So, now that Vic is pretending to be Superboy in an official capacity, his suit gets an upgrade. Gerard will wear a current season suit for his uh, role as Vic. You know, I don't know what went into filming this, especially the ending, but you very rarely see Vic and Superboy on the screen together, so... They minimized the need to do uh, any kind of split screen or, but they probably used uh draw Christopher stunt double as long as they didn't need to show both faces. So, it, so I, it keep, I guess it keeps uh draw Christopher from having to change because now if, I mean, if he's playing both roles on the same day, he can just go from one to the other without having to uh, switch suits, having uh, him wear an old suit worked well enough in the scene where it was only him, but it wouldn't uh, work here without being uh a pain. I don't know what it takes to uh, get in and out of that suit, but if he doesn't have to, why would he? So there's a discussion here about heroes, and Vic's point of view is that normal people who aren't bulletproof idiots are being heroes, but Superboy points out that first responders are nurses, doctors, people who, the kind of people who we're really thinking about right now uh, as we go through this COVID-19 pandemic. But, you know, th- you know, those are the heroes. They have a lot more to lose than... Superboy does and I've always felt Superboy or Superman for that matter always felt uncomfortable with the word hero in a way to uh, describe himself because he probably doesn't believe he is one to him to, to him he's just a guy trying to help but you have to remember this conversation that Vic and Superboy have because it's going to come into play and I was very happy to see it come into play and even here Vic believes they're not heroes because they get paid to do it yeah I can see that they're is reward there for that? Oh, well, not all. I mean, there are volunteer firefighters, volunteer paramedics, so they're not getting paid. But still, even if you're a paid paramedic or a paid firefighter, you are still choosing to put yourself in that situation. So that doesn't make you any uh, any less of a hero. Besides, volunteering doesn't put food on the table. So that doesn't buy you a house. So if you can do that and get paid, that's not an indictment. Vic still got a little bit of his rebellion here, and he refuses to get rid of the gum. And initially in this uh, final scene, the way to tell Vic and Superboy apart is that Vic is the one chewing the gum. And as Vic is walking toward Walker, I love seeing Superboy on the side at his side, frantically on the side, yelling at Vic to get rid of the gum. And eventually he does, just kind of swallows it with a smirk. And he's got something written on his hand, possibly his instructions or what to say i tried to freeze uh freeze it and read it but i couldn't really make out what it said so he calls out to walker who thinks he's facing superboy but i wonder if walker's powers can affect vic and in what way can they affect him he's not going to feel the initial kryptonite radiating off his body but i wonder what would happen if he hit by a kryptonite blast i'd probably knock him back for uh for a loop i would think but you know walker's got vic on the run from a truck and superboy uses his super breath to hold the truck in place and Vic sees and, you know, he plays the role well. I like how he imitates the super breath and uh, although they only showed him do it once, but enough to get the point across. And then, remember the conversation about heroes? Vic now uses that logic on Walker that if he doesn't trust people, he was going to say, end up like me, but then he kind of caught himself and the line kind of gets away from him and uh, this is when the rules gets away from him too. He's talking a little more rudely than Superboy would. And Walker sees through the disguise. And at the last minute, Superboy, at great risk to himself, runs out to save him. So here is Superboy. This is where Vic will see Superboy as a hero because he has no protection from Kryptonite. You know, it may as well be a bullet to uh, Vic because it can harm Superboy just as much as as a bullet can harm Vic. So Vic runs away initially and then something clicks. And he runs over to Major Dooley and gets the lead sheeting, saving Superboy's life and knocking Walker cold. And then Superboy sealed him up with a seed vision. You know, at first I thought Vic was going to run away. And it seemed like he was going to run away. And that's what the writers wanted us to think. But he does the right thing. And Superboy inspired him to do what's right. And then the media crush falls on Superboy. And then Vic gets irritated and walks away, you know, feeling that he's going to be uh, ignored, that his role in this is going to be, ignored he's not going to get anything out of it i mean the deal was a reduced time on his sentence i think it was 90 days but superboy is gracious he knows who the real hero was today and not only that i think he recognizes that on some level Vic needed to feel like a hero and you could tell that one he's grateful and two he is enjoying telling the media his story you know he doesn't tell him that he was in jail but so he amended a little bit but he definitely uh plays up uh Superboy needing uh his help. Which is fine. I was skeptical about the Superboy doppelganger part of the story. And uh, it tied in well to the rest of the Kryptonite Kid storyline. And I liked him seeking the doppelganger, Vic's help, and helping Vic become a hero. Inspiring others to become heroes is what Superboy and Superman do. Just wish more people would see that. So, now, what you're going to see is me take a podcast promo break. And when I come back, I'm going to talk The Basement. Hang around, folks. All right.
1: What does that stand for,
0: Robin? Hello, everyone. This is Rob
1: Myers, and I'd like to invite you to check out my podcast called Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. Rob, are you going to take out the trash? Uh, I'm right in the middle of uh, recording a, an ad for my, my podcast. I'll, I'll do it in just a little bit, okay? Sorry to interrupt, Boy Wonder time. Boy Wonder? I'm all man, lady. Uh, Rob. Uh, okay, where was I? That's right, my podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves a Drake. It'll be hosted over at thebatmanuniverse.net. I'll be covering Tim Drake's origin story from the very beginning, starting with Tim's first appearance in Batman 436, also known as Batman Year 3, and hopefully going all the way through the Robin ongoing series, starting with Issue 1 and going all the way to Issue 183. 183 issues. Wow. Well, it's a good thing because everyone loves the Drake. You don't like the Drake. Hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good.
0: All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this episode off with The Basement. Original broadcast date was October 27th, 1991, episode four of season four, directed by Hugh Martin and written by Toby Martin. Not sure if they're related. I couldn't find any information that they are. I couldn't find any information that they're not, so we'll just leave it at that. Martin is a common enough last name that they may not be related. Anyway, guest cast included Cassandra Lee Abel as the girl. <laughs> she is the only uh, member of the guest cast, so let's move right on to our synopsis from TV.com. Lana enters the basement in search for a re- of a reported ghost. She comes across a little girl who exhibits strange behavior, mimicking everything Lana says.
1: What are you doing down here? What's your name? Are you okay? Are you okay? Oh, I'm fine. I was just worried about you. Worried? About you? Look. Look. You're doing everything I'm doing, aren't you? Everything. Stupid question. (laughs) Stupid. Why don't we go find out who you belong to, okay?
0: She suddenly throws Lana across the room, incapacitating her long enough to attach an energy module onto her neck, absorbing her likeness. Lana awakens and learns that the little girl was the first body inhabited by the alien upon arriving to Earth. She intends to steal Lana's identity. Meanwhile, at the BRO, Jackson is fed up with Lana's absence. Let me
1: give you a hand there, Clark. Thanks, Matt. You wanna go to lunch in a bit? I can't, I gotta read these files. What about Lana? Can't she help? Jackson asked her to, but she got a message about ghosts in somebody's house. Ghosts? Yeah, it's a house on Watercrest. They think they have a ghost in the basement. They're so scared they went to a hotel.
0: <laughs> Probably been seeing too
1: many Stephen King films. Aren't you done yet? Where's Miss Lang? Well, uh. Mm- Out in the field again when I specifically asked her to help you? Well. Well, what? Well, Dennis, I asked Lana to run an errand for me. She'll be back soon. She'd better be.
0: So I lied. We're not in Kansas anymore, Clark. Clark calls the residence Lana went to. Back at the basement, the alien puts on another energy module on Lana's forehead to absorb her memories when the phone rings. The clone disguises her voice as Lana to go answer, leaving Lana alone to destroy the module. She seems to succeed in doing so, but when the alien returns, she seems to successfully drain Lana of her memories. She saw a vision of Superboy in the collection of memories and wants to lure him to the basement to absorb his powers. At the Bureau, Jackson is questioning Clark about Lana's absence. About that little errand that your friend Miss Lang went on? Yes, sir. Why isn't she
1: back yet? Well, you see, sir, um... Hi, everybody! Lana! Right on time. (laughs) One of my best qualities.
0: After waiting around for Superboy, she gives up and makes an excuse to return to the basement where Lana is waiting to make her escape. Lana trips the clone when she enters, sending her falling down the stairs and knocking her unconscious. In her weakened state, Lana is unable to make a speedy exit, and the clone is able to recover and restrain Lana. She demands knowledge about Superboy, and since Lana's tampering with the module earlier prevented full transfer of her memories to the clone. At the Bureau, Clark becomes concerned about Lana's whereabouts, as she's never returned to the office late before. He leaves the Superboy and flies to the basement. The clone is killing Lana when he arrives but when he enters the basement, he cannot tell who the real Lana is. Superboy. Lana?
1: No, I'm Lana. She's this thing, this alien. No, she's the alien. It wants your identity. It'll kill you. No! Don't come any closer. I have to. A- a- ask it a question, something you and I will only know. It's got my memories. You it will know the answer. Do you remember when... I can't see. No, she'll kill you. She's dying. No, not yet. I've got to get you to the hospital. But what about her? I'll come back for her. No, do it now. Do what? Kill her, like you always do.
0: Like I always do? When Superboy realizes what's going on, the clone attaches the module to him. And starts to absorb his powers. Lana intervenes and stops the transfer, destroying the clone. What happened? It could duplicate
1: whatever was on the other end, but there wasn't anything there. There never was.
0: every season has one i thought this one's a bit of a clunker there's just not enough to me that i found engaging about this story there's a lot of things about this like clark just sitting at the bureau waiting for lana to show up for as long as he did that didn't ring true to the character i mean why would he wait so long to go save lana at almost the cost of her own life so let's uh get into this and uh you'll see what i mean so this episode is called the basement Surprisingly enough, it starts in the basement. And Lana is uh, looking around the basement and finds a girl, and, and Lana asks her if the girl's okay. She, The girl seems to have poor language skills, and she's a mimic. And I am guessing, uh, and rightly so, that this episode is going to produce the uh, shot of Lana that we see uh, during the credit sequence as the shirt and hair bear resemblance. Funny, though, that the uh, shot we see of Stacey Heideck in the Opening credits is not actually Lana, but the double Lana. Uh, It's still Stacey Heideck, though. Anyway, the girl grabs Lana and throws her and exhibits some super strength. And she puts this bubble-like thing on Lana's neck, which the synopsis called a module. Fair enough. And with some animated yellow lightning, she absorbs Lana's likeness. And the animation's okay, not great, but the change happens partly off-screen. The transformation from the girl into Stacey Heideck you kind of see this black outline when she's changing, and that looks kind of hinky, but it's over pretty quickly. And now we go to the bureau where Clark is pretending to have trouble carrying a bunch of files that he has to read for Jackson for some reason. Lana was supposed to help Clark put the files, but she was out investigating a ghost. And for some reason that is unknown to me, Matt covers for Lana, who is not supposed to be out in the field today. She's supposed to be helping Clark with the files that he's reading. Lana went to investigate a ghost like uh, Matt had said, like someone had said, but maybe she should have taken a ghostbuster with her. So the alien needs an identity and uh, Lana says she has a horrible life and the alien doesn't want it. You know, she uh, saying that she has no one. She waits for a man who does show a whole lot of interest. And I, I'm like, uh, I think Lana is just trying to save herself. I don't, at least I hope she doesn't think there's a uh, little of her own life, but this is when we find out that the, This is not a ghost, it is an extraterrestrial, and because now the alien has Lana's form, it is going to kill Lana, because you can't have two Lanas running around. The alien can't risk, while it's disguised as Lana, to have Lana show up. Makes sense. Meanwhile, Lana is still gone, and Jackson is fed up, and apparently she's back to being an intern. He says many interns would die for for that internship, and... I did chuckle when Matt pointed out that Lana almost has several times died for uh, the internship. But Jackson's uh, not going for it. He's still pissed. Says almost. Although I don't think much of the story overall, I am enjoying the dialogue. And the writers seem to have a a pretty good grasp of uh, the Bureau characters, especially uh, Matt and Jackson. I mean, Lana is injured and captive most of the time, so... Not really much to delve into their character here, and I'm not sure what how much of Superboy they're really getting here. But I really don't like how he approaches Lana's disappearance. So Clark calls the house, but the alien has figured out how to use uh, Lana's voice, so you kind of know what's going to happen here. So Lana managed to pull a little blob off her head, but but Clark is calling the house. I don't know why they're expecting Lana to answer the phone. I mean, now, I mean, this is, I mean, this is 1992. No. This is 1991. This is a pre-cell phone world. There isn't a number that Clark can call that Lana would pick up immediately. I mean, yes, she's investigating this quote-unquote ghost at someone's house, but would Lana answer the random phone at someone's house? I don't know. I wouldn't. The alien, however, doesn't know about phones, uh, but she does answer it, and she kind of describes the uh, dial tone as a musical note. I don't know how old all of you are, but I'm sure most of you know what a dial tone sounds like. And Lana says it's an emergency alert and that they're going to come for her. So, you know, I think she does that to frighten the alien. I don't think the alien believed Lana. So in an effort to suss out the truth, the alien via some more animated yellow lightning, searches Lana's memories, and this is taking a toll on Lana. It's definitely tiring her out. And the alien yanks the transceiver off her head, which is kind of illustrating Lana's temper, which I don't know. Have we really seen Lana to have a temper? Maybe you change her heart, but, you know, she was having a real bad day. But I guess she saw Superboy in Lana's memories, and now she wants to assume his identity. You know, that seems to be a better choice than uh, than Lana's, especially if you want to get uh, superpowers in, in the deal. So, the alien asks Lana about Superboy. She won't talk and gets slapped. Hmm. What usually happens. So, alien Lana then goes back to the Bureau, and uh, she says being on time is one of her best qualities. And okay, I guess so. It's never really been an issue before. Or even mentioned, but it's going to be an issue in this episode. So, yay, bully! You know we're about halfway through, and I'm starting to get bored with this episode. And the alien says she's looking for Superboy, and Clark asks her what's wrong because you know generally something has to be wrong for you to ask about Superboy. And the alien Lana finds that Newton's third uh, law doohickey. You know I don't know what it's called off the top of my head, but uh, the thing non like the thing non was looking at in Superman two in the Oval Office, and she tries to eat one of the balls. Okay. And then Lana is asking about our superboy, and Clark, you know, just seems to be confused. And there is a sequence where we get the shot from the opening credits. Uh, she says she has to go back to the basement because she left her flashlight behind. So with the resident gone to a hotel and no one is home, Lana thinks fast and trips the alien down the stairs, which didn't really do anything. And the alien recovered quickly and <laughs> dragged her down the stairs with it. Literally just kind of grabbed Lana by the ankle and yanked her down a flight of stairs. The kind of thing that's gonna leave a, leave some bruised ribs. So, the alien wants to know about Superboy, and it's seven, and uh, she's not back at the at the bureau yet, and Matt and Clark are still here. The comment thing on Lana's lateness, which, like I said, we never heard of her punctuality before, and her promptness was never a character trait before this, And but it's important for this episode. Probably not going to hear about this again after that, too. So, the alien asks if Superboy was an alien, but Lana doesn't really know that answer. She's not buying it, and the torture is starting to get to her, really wearing her down. So... Now it's 9 p.m., and Clark, and doesn't Clark have the address? I mean, you would assume quitting time at the bureau was 5. Clark sat there for four extra hours waiting for Lana to come back. You would have think Clark would have gone to check on her before now because he does go to the right basement. He flies out the window, annoys the custodian because papers are starting to blow around, and, you know, back in the basement, there's some light kind of coming in from the window, which doesn't jive with it being 9 p.m., But maybe that's uh, the life from upstairs, I don't know. So, Superboy, he has two Lana's before him and has to figure out which one is which. So, we're going to do the question thing. Ask me something only Lana would know, which Lana points out won't work because the alien took her memories. So, you would think Superboy could use his X-ray vision or something to determine which is the real Lana. I mean, wouldn't the alien have some kind of alien physiology? Wouldn't there be some kind of difference? Are we not thinking of of that today? So, apparently, at some point, Lana lied to the alien when she told the alien that Superboy kills. And it chokes Superboy and tries to assume his identity. He has thrown his uh, blob by the uh, module, and she's trying to take him, but Lana yanks it off Superboy's neck and creates some kind of feedback loop that causes the alien to disappear. So apparently the little blob thing is a duplicator, and since there was nothing attached to the blob, the alien disappeared. Lovely. Episode is kind of weak. Minimal sets, minimal guest stars. Sissy Heidek did well with what she was given. You know, interesting to see doppelgangers in both episodes. But as an overall viewing experience, this particular episode was a chore to get through. I will be honest. Next time, we have the Sherman Howard pen, Darla Goes Ballistic, and then uh, Capital City will suffer from some paranoia in an episode with two very special guest stars. If you know who they are, you know who they are. If you don't, you'll find out next week. In the meantime, feedback is always welcome. ManScreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, please put Man Podcast in your search feed and the show should them up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Mana Until next time, folks, we're all on the same page. Good night. The Man Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright fringed is intended. All music and sound clips are copyrighted to original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on iTunes that will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen podcast.